Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now get ready for another episode of Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself depending on the subject matter and your needs. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. I am going to play a two-minute clip for you, and then I'll tell you why. So let's listen. The moment my life changed was December 14, 1991, in a car accident in Charleston, South Carolina. I was hit at 75 miles per hour. I was literally knocked out of my body, and it was life-changing in many ways because it was at that moment that I realized that I had the choice whether to stay in my body or to exit. I knew that I was eternal. I knew I'd been here before and I knew I would continue on. My grandfather judge is a very interesting part of of my story because my interest in health, healing, medicine came from the fact that he was a a well-renowned surgeon in, in Kentucky for his career. And we were talking about out of this world experiences, about bigger things about our role in helping humanity. And the kicker was that I was probably about three or four when finally my mother told me he wasn't alive. (laughs) So I'd been talking to him for the first couple of years of my life, the same as I'm sitting here speaking to you. That's kind of my backstory and how things developed. And so of course, after the accident, I just turned my life over and I'd be in the hospital helping somebody I'd never met before because a voice has told me, you need to go to hospital room 213 and help this person transition because they're hooked to the machinery and the mother can't bear to unplug them. Do you know, this is my life. This is what I do. I am here to serve. I think as the years have gone by and Promised by Heaven has developed into the book that it has, the biggest thing I can say to people is let yourselves off the hook. That's the message behind the book. We didn't come here for perfection. We came here from perfection to take a break and to find out what it means to experience life in the human form. And if we can extend our hand and say, you know what, I had this experience, and if I can share that with you, if I can share something that would be potentially embarrassing or painful, and I can help you with that, isn't that what it's all about? So, who was that? That was Dr. Mary Helen Hensley, author of the book Promised by Heaven. 
whose life was completely changed, for the good, I might add, after her near-death experience. Although many doctors have had near-death experiences, and many have witnessed near-death experiences and studied them, many scientists, believe it or not, have thought these experiences were just hallucinations. However, a group of scientists just this past month released a statement announcing for the first time that near-death experiences are not hallucinations. So here to tell us more is Jeff Allen from Study Finds. A new study exploring what people experience when they're close to death has come to one important conclusion. Near-death experiences are a real thing, even if we can't explain them. Countless people have claimed that their life flashed before their eyes or that they actually left their body and traveled somewhere else while close to death. Critics have called these experiences hallucinations or illusions, but Researchers from NYU Grossman School of Medicine say something else is actually happening. A team of researchers from several medical disciplines, including neurosciences, critical care, psychiatry, psychology, social sciences, and humanities, have come up with a number of conclusions after reviewing unexplained lucid episodes, which involved a heightened state of consciousness. So, really trying to find out what exactly a near-death experience is. The main finding is that these events don't have much in common with the experiences someone has if they're hallucinating or using a psychedelic drug. Instead, people who have a near-death experience typically report five different events taking place. A separation from their body with a heightened vast sense of consciousness and recognition that they're dying, or they travel to a different location. Some have said they have a meaningful or purposeful review of their life involving critical analysis of all their past actions. Basically, their life flashes before their eyes. Some say they feel they're going to a place that feels like home, and the feeling of returning back to life is the fifth. Researchers note that the near-death experience usually triggers a positive and long-term psychological transformation in the person. The team notes that people who had negative and distressing experiences well near death, did not experience these kinds of events. The team also found it turns out that scientists can actually see physical changes taking place in the brain when someone is close to death. Researchers found the presence of gamma activity and electrical spikes when people are technically dying. This is typically a sign of a heightened state of consciousness when scientists measure it using an EEG or electroencephalograph. The findings further back up the claims from people who say they left their body while dying. Study authors note that advances in medicine over the last century have brought back countless people from death's door. Lead author Sam Perina said, quote, The advent of cardiopulmonary resuscitation, or CPR, showed us that death is not an absolute state. Rather, it's a process that could potentially be reversed in some people after it has been started. Perina continued, what has enabled the scientific study of death is that brain cells do not become irreversibly damaged within minutes of oxygen deprivation when the heart stops. Instead, they die over hours of time. This is allowing scientists to objectively study the physiological and mental events that occur in relation to death. Study authors conclude that neither physiological nor cognitive processes completely end at the moment of death. While prior reports haven't been able to prove what people are saying about their near-death experiences, the new report finds it's also impossible to disprove what they're saying as well. So, while I don't have the answer, it seems people are taking the question seriously and 
each time we seem to get another nugget of info. I have faith that one day we'll all eventually find out. Thanks, Jeff. I want to play for you now a clip from Natalie Sudman and her near-death experience. And then after that, I want to introduce you to Dr. Jeffrey Long, who is a medical doctor who has made his life about studying near-death experiences and has even created the website nderf.org. So let's listen to Natalie. I was working in Iraq as a civilian employee. We were going out to visit some construction sites. And at the end of the day, going back to base and I was tired. So I was kind of sitting like this with my elbow on the door. And so I was there in the truck and then I was suddenly not there in the truck. I appeared to myself as as I was in the truck. So I was in my camo army gear. I was kind of tattered up. And from the explosion, my physical form was whole. And I didn't think, oh, I've just been blown up or something. I was standing in front of, call it the gathering. It's like thousands of beings all around me, like a stadium. And I was downloading information to them. I knew exactly what I was doing. I didn't feel like, where, where am I? You know, there was none of that. When I finished downloading that information, I told them that I wasn't going to go back. I didn't have any interest in going back to the physical world. They all agreed to that, but I mean, they were kind of in no position to agree or not. They accepted that. There was no authority over me and I had no authority over anyone else. We were all just doing what we do and cooperating with each other. They were like, well, what if you did this? They kind of asked if I might be interested in doing some other stuff and going back. Some skills that I had would be helpful right now. And and I, I said, okay. <laughs> then I blinked to another place that I call the deep rest environment. Here, I feel like I did not have any form, but I had organization. It felt like the way I describe it is I was an organization of energy. And there were two other beings there who felt sort of like mechanics, like they were just tinkering and tuning up that organization of my energy. We didn't interact. We didn't talk to each other or anything. I felt like they were just doing their job and I was relaxing. This is a point where I would say I did something like what others describe as a life review. There wasn't any judgment involved, really. It was all from me. Maybe I was just really easy on myself. <laughs> but um, it was kind of like real casually kind of paging through my life. Going, oh, what worked? What didn't work? What implies that there's more to explore here or there? I was looking for things that were fun. I was looking for things that had unexpected outcomes. I'm an artist and I like kind of playing with creativity, like you start to do something without knowing where you're going. And that's kind of the same idea that I was using to evaluate some of my life. People talk a lot about contracts. You know, we come into this lifetime with a contract. It's so authoritarian. It's so goal-oriented and it sounds like it's got a schedule and I just don't perceive it that way. It's much more free-flowing and it's much more voluntary. It's much more fun. I completed that, got a good rest there, and then blinked back to the big gathering. We talked about kind of in more detail what I was going to do. And then I blinked again and I was hovering. It was like I could see the scene of the truck, the blown up truck below me. 
and I could see the truck and I could see the four of us in the truck, but I could also see all of this as an organization of energy. I could see the energy itself. I was with two other beings, one of whom was like an old friend of mine. So what we were doing here is I was choosing my injuries. So I kind of do the equivalent of waving my hand and I would set some injuries in my body. I would cut off my hand and put a big hole in my head. And as soon as I did that, we could see the whole kind of trajectory of the life I would lead with those injuries. From that perspective, it was hilarious to us. We were laughing. It was like, oh, yeah, look at her trying to write with her left hand. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, from that perspective, it was very funny. Of course, once we're back in the body, it's not that funny. When you have a different perspective, you're going to have a different emotional reaction to it. So we were trying different things, trying different things. Finally, I'm like, okay, we got to just, <laughs> I got to just pick them. And I just, set the injuries that I felt would help me do the things that I had agreed to do. I immediately blinked again and I was down next to the truck and I was with eight other beings and we were discussing the things that I had agreed to do, but we were discussing them from kind of more of an on the ground level. And I say that we're standing next to the truck, but everything felt sort of ethereal. Everything had form, but it didn't necessarily have weight. As soon as we were finished there, then I just popped back into my body and I became conscious hearing an audible pop. Woke up, opened my eyes in that truck. And we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hey folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash shades. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey folks, it's easier than ever to become a Coast to Coast AM insider and have access to past shows, the Art Bell Vault with classic audio and interviews, and so much more. And you can listen to the show live or on demand with your computer or cell phone, and the audio streams are high quality and crystal clear. It's easy to become an insider. Just head on over to coasttocoastam.com, the website, and you'll find all the info right there. That's coasttocoastam.com, coasttocoastam.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. The story we just heard before the break was the near-death experience of Natalie Sudman, whose truck was destroyed by a bomb in Iraq. And before this experience, she was doubtful of anything paranormal. And since then, she has retired from working in government service, and this experience has made her a believer in the non-physical. Next, I'd like to introduce you to medical doctor Jeffrey Long. And as a scientist, he founded NDERF in 1998. He wanted to know if near-death experiences were real by directly asking the experiencers themselves. And of course, the answer is yes. As a result of his research, he is the author of the New York Times best-selling book called Evidence of the Afterlife, The Science of Near-Death Experiences. So we are going to be talking about evidence of the afterlife. There really are some groundbreaking new findings from the largest near-death experience study ever reported. Just so we're all on the same page, I know a lot of you are very knowledgeable about near-death experience, but A near-death experience is, as the name implies, you're near death. In other words, you're so physically compromised, you're generally unconscious and may be clinically dead with absent heartbeat, absent respiration. Now, at that time that you're unconscious, and it should be impossible 
to have a lucid organized remembrance, you do have the experience part of a near-death experience. And we'll get into that briefly. Now, I want to emphasize no two near-death experiences are the same, but all of us researchers that have studied them see that there are a very consistent pattern of elements or what occurs during the near-death experience typically occurring in the same consistent pattern of occurrence. So these are the near-death experience elements, and I don't want to go through all of them, but very often you see what's called an out-of-body experience that occurs initially. Consciousness rises above the body. Uh, there's heightened senses, typically very positive emotions, and the classic passing into or through a tunnel, encountering that mystical light in uh, the end of the tunnel, deceased relatives are often there, life reviews often accounting unearthly, or if you will, heavenly realms are commonly reported. And then ultimately at the end, they have to return to their earthly life. So that's very briefly a typical detailed near-death experience right there. Well, I got interested in this over 20 years ago, and because I had a burning question about the reality of near-death experiences, I set up a website, NDERF is the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. From its inception, it has been a public service. Uh, we haven't had anything for sale, and up until very recently, we didn't even have a 501c3 branch. We really wanted to share with the public what had been shared with us freely from people all around the world. And when I say all around the world, I really mean that. We've got portions of that website, the NDE Research website, in over 30 different languages. And remarkably, we have accumulated over 4,000 near-death experiences from people sharing with us. I want you to keep in mind as I go through this, as remarkable as this is going to sound, it's a basic scientific principle that what is real is consistently observed. And you're going to see remarkable consistency in what we've observed in NDEs as we go through this. I really want to give a special thanks to my wife, Jody. She's a licensed attorney, and yet she has devoted her full-time job to the website. She's now the webmaster. That's literally what she does all day long because it's such a huge project. And it's due to her efforts, our labor of love, that we're able to talk about our research from the website today. Well, who has a near-death experience anyway? A Gallup survey published in 1981 found that about 5% of adults in America had a prior history of a near-death experience. After extensive research spanning all the way back to 1975, we absolutely cannot predict who will have a near-death experience or what the content will be. Near-death experiences can happen to anyone, children and adults, physicians and scientists, clergy, religious, uh, even atheists have typical near-death experience, and those who never heard of near-death experience, all of us can have it. Around 10 to 20% of those who nearly die can have a near-death experience, so the bottom line is anyone can have an NDE. Uh, we published back some years ago my book, first book, Evidence of the Afterlife, became a New York Times bestseller within eight days. Uh, it's had a huge public interest on the NBC Today show, The O'Reilly Factor, The Dr. Oz Show, National Geographic Channel, and even was asked to present at the New York Academy of Sciences. And down here where I live in a small town, southern Louisiana, home of Louisiana, extensive local interest. So it's been a lot of fun to do this as well as very informative and inspirational, literally to tens of millions of people that have heard these shows and presentations throughout the world. What I'm gonna talk about are the survey results. The most recent full survey is, we have different versions of a survey on our Enderf website. Uh, the most recent, the second, I guess, to last survey we have before we close accrual 
had 1,122 near-death experiences sequentially shared. In analysis of that data, we found nine lines of evidence that all converged on the reality that near-death experiences are, in the word, real, and we're going to get into that very briefly. So what are those nine lines of evidence that we had from my initial study? Well, the first line of, of evidence is during that period of unconsciousness or clinical death, people have crystal clear consciousness. To understand how amazing that is, consider after a cardiac arrest, well, of course, immediately when your heart stops pumping, blood immediately stops growing to the brain. A measure of brain electrical activity called EEG or electroencephalogram is absolutely flat 10 to 20 seconds after a cardiac arrest. And yet in my study, I found that nearly 75%, three out of four, during that time of unconsciousness of, uh, or clinical death, they actually were having more consciousness and alertness at that time than during their earthly everyday life, which is absolutely medically inexplicable. The remaining 20% said that their consciousness was normal uh, compared to their earthly everyday consciousness. And only 5%, even though they were physically unconsciousness, described less consciousness and alertness than their earthly everyday life. Now, it's important to remember near-death experiences are remembered verbatim, literally word for word, decades after their occurrence. So all of this is pointing to it being a very special type of consciousness. Well, the second line of evidence, and very important, are these so-called out-of-body observations. A fairly common initial event in near-death experiences is that out-of-body experience. Consciousness separates from that unconscious or clinically dead body. And to me, as a researcher, I ask the question, is what they're seeing with their consciousness above their physical body real? Well, about 45% of the time in near-death experiences, they describe ongoing earthly events often frantic efforts at resuscitating them from their life-threatening event. So my question, are their observations, are what they're seeing, real? Well, we've had a prospective study, two of them actually, Sabom and Sartori, both found that they appeared to be real. Dr. Jan Holden did an entire literature review of published out-of-body observations and found 92% of the time they were without any apparent inaccuracy and in my study, the largest of this phenomena, 287 people that had that out-of-body observations, to my astonishment, I found 98% of the time, what they described were without any apparent inaccuracy, both by my review and the person who had the near-death experience sharing it. Again, just to understand how remarkable this is, many of these out-of-body experiences involve consciousness far from the physical body and geographically far from any possible sensory awareness. We've had people code in the operating room, consciousness drifts to other parts of the hospital, and almost invariably, what they see and hear, even far from their physical body, is absolutely correct, even if they go back and verify it. So that's certainly a significant line of evidence. But getting back to some other ways that we do research and find to be evidential, how about visual near-death experiences in the blind? Okay. The blind can vary. You can have those that have been totally blind from birth or develop blindness in life. It can be complete or partial blindness. The toughest test would be those born totally blind and remained blind throughout birth. I've interviewed a lady who had this, Vicki, born totally blind and stayed totally blind. These have been reported in case reports. And remarkably, when people that are born totally blind have a near-death experience, a life-threatening event, they can have vision and have very typical near-death experiences, but with classic content and with classic vision. The one person I interviewed, Vicki, 
described what's called 360-degree vision. She could see front, back, right, left, and up, down, all simultaneously. It was tough for Vicky, born blind from birth, to understand the rest of us have these sort of pie-shaped visual fields, because don't forget, in her entire life, she only knew spherical, if you will, vision. So absolutely medically inexplicable for people to have that kind of perfect vision. And just to illustrate this, Marta G. was a five-year-old girl who was blind and uh, unfortunately went into a lake, and here's what happened. After Marta went into the lake and she was, again, blind, I slowly breathed in the water and immediately lost consciousness. A beautiful woman dressed in bright white light pulled me out and looking to my, this is a spiritual figure, looking into my eyes, asked me what I wanted. I was completely satisfied and could think of nothing until it occurred to me to take a trip around the lake. I did and saw a detail I would have never seen in real life. I could go anywhere, even to the tops of trees, by simply intending to do so. I was legally blind and for the first time saw leaves on trees, birds' feathers, birds' eyes, details on telephone poles and in people's backyards that were far more acute than 20-20 vision. Mundane details to us, birds' feathers, telephone poles, but if you've never seen it before in your life, it's absolutely amazing. Okay, here's a fourth line of evidence. Under general anesthesia, under adequate general anesthesia, you should have no conscious remembrance at all. If you code, if your heart stops while you're under general anesthesia, which is very well monitored, it should be, if you will, doubly impossible to have a lucid organized experience. However, I studied 23 near-death experiences that were very clearly documented as having occurred during general anesthesia. They absolutely occur. They're typical near-death experiences. In my questionnaire, there were 33 questions pertaining to the elements of the near-death experience or what actually happens. 32 of the 33 elements occurred equally often in the near-death experience group associated with anesthesia as compared to near-death experiences occurring under all, all other uh, types of, of uh, circumstances. The only difference is the people under general anesthesia that had their near-death experience statistically were more likely to have a tunnel experience. I don't know why. But importantly, my key question about what was your level of consciousness and alertness during this experience, absolutely the same, whether they were under general anesthesia or had their near-death experience under any other circumstance. Powerful evidence right there that near-death experiences are absolutely occurring separate from physical brain function the way that we understand it. And we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hey folks, producer Tom here reminding you to make sure and check out our official Coast to Coast AM YouTube channel. For many of us, YouTube is our go-to place for audio-visual media, and we here at Coast to Coast are happy to share free hour-long excerpts of Coast to Coast AM with you, our loyal fans and new listeners. Our YouTube channel offers many different Coast to Coast AM hour-long pieces of audio on numerous topics, including ufology, extraterrestrials, conspiracies, strange creatures, prophecies, and much more much more. There's even a section that includes our most popular uploads, such as many of the David Pilates shows on people disappearing in national parks. To visit or subscribe, just go to YouTube and type in Coast to Coast AM official, or you can simply go to the coasttocoastam.com website and click on the YouTube icon at the top. It's the official Coast to Coast AM YouTube channel. You're going to love this. Just get on over to coasttocoastam.com and start your free listening now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback 
with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Coast to Coast AM mobile app is here and waiting for you right now. And with the app, you can hear classic shows from the past seven years, listen to the current live show, and get access to the Art Bell Vault where you can listen to uninterrupted audio. Head on over to the coasttocoastam.com website. We have a handy video guide to help you get the most out of your mobile app usage. All the info is waiting for you now at coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are listening to radiation oncologist Dr. Jeffrey Long about near-death experiences. Probably already, you're seeing some pretty powerful evidence for the reality of near-death experiences and its consistent message that our consciousness survives bodily death. Well, what do the skeptics say? And that's important to note that over 20 different explanations, so-called explanations, have been proposed by skeptics over the years. You name it, I've heard just about every physiological, psychological, and cultural explanation possible. The reason there's over 20 different explanations is very simple. The skeptics themselves can't agree on any one or several explanations of near-death experience that they accept as adequately explaining NDE. I mean, think about that. If there was really a decent explanation of NDE, 
it wouldn't have over 20 different explanations competing with each other. But moving on quickly, we'll go through lines five of seven uh, lines of evidence for the reality of NDE. There's a life review. Um, during the life review, just observe about 17% of the time in near-death experiences, you may see all or a part of your prior life reviewed. Long forgotten memories may be recalled. And when I researched this, I found that when people had a life review, even if they'd forgotten the memories, often in early childhood, if they later checked it out after they recovered from what nearly killed them, they find that even if they forgot it, what they saw in the life review really did happen, even if they'd forgotten it. I always put fear not the life review because some people fear the a life review. I can assure you during the life review and near-death experiences, essentially never is there external judgment. You're being shown your prior life. You have to decide and make a judgment, if any, about what you have to think about your own prior life. Certainly in near-death experiences, that's not at all unusual to encounter deceased loved ones. Um, these are joyous reunions. Even if people died of disfiguring or, or illnesses when they were way up in age, they're essentially always picture-perfect health. In my study, I was astonished to find that only 4% of the time beings are encountered in a near-death experience in an unearthly or heavenly realm. Only 4% of the time, these are beings that are alive at the time of the near-death experience. And I want to emphasize also, deceased beloved pets are often encountered in near-death experiences in these unearthly realms. Once again, joyous reunions. Line of evidence seven, I studied near-death experiences in children age five and less. This is sort of an ideal study group because to them, Near-death experiences are unknown and unknowable. They have no concepts of death, generally. Uh, they don't typically won't have any preconceived notions about what should happen when you die. Looking at that same 33 elements of things that occur during a near-death experience, the near-death experience content was identical. Even though they're culturally practically a blank slate, when very young children have near-death experiences, they're having identical content near-death experiences. Uh, a really powerful line of evidence is the fact that near-death experiences have worldwide consistency. You may call, I previously said, that portions of our NDE research website are published in over 30 different languages. So we're getting near-death experiences shared literally from all over the world. That has allowed us to do by far the largest cross-cultural study that's ever been possible before. At the conclusion from this extensive study involving hundreds of near-death experiences shared from non-English languages around the world and from over 50 near-death experiences from non-Western countries, bottom line is the near-death experience strike content, once again, strikingly similar. It doesn't seem to make any difference whether you're, say, a Christian in the United States or a Muslim in Egypt or a Hindu in India. Wherever on the planet you are, if you have a near-death experience, is going to be strikingly similar. Now, language gets in the way. How do you describe ineffable, unearthly, uh, you know, the kind of, of remarkable things that people encounter? But if you look at actually what happens, they're remarkably typical. Now, the sternest test of near-death experiences around the world are those that occur in non-Western countries. They typically have very different cultural and religious backgrounds. Through my work and also doing several studies with a near-death experience investigator in Iran, and we've published several papers on this, once again, the content appears strikingly similar. The implications of the, all of this is enormous. Wherever on earth we are, if you have a near-death experience, it seems to be strikingly similar. 
really seem to be spiritual beings overall having a human experience here and now in our earth. Line of evidence number nine is what's called the after effects. In other words, those are the changes in values and beliefs that occur after the near-death experience. Now, I want to emphasize this may take years to fully integrate. Uh, when you have an extreme life-changing event, something that is beyond anything you ever thought possible, obviously, it can take a long time, often years, to fully integrate those changes in values and belief. But when they do, extensive prospective and retrospective studies of near-death experiences are very consistently finding an increased belief in the afterlife. I mean, that's not a surprise, is it? From the perspective of someone who had a near-death experience, they don't doubt the afterlife because they firmly believe they experienced the afterlife in their near-death experience, and they know what lies ahead. Obviously, they have a reduced fear of death for the same reason. They've been through a life-threatening event. They know from their personal belief what happens after they die, and it is certainly good news. They grow to value loving relationships from what they learn during their NDE. They become typically much less uh, materialistic and certainly a greatly increased belief in God. There's certainly other after effects, but those are the most commonly observed. Now we're going to go on to my more recent research, and this is sort of leading edge, if you will. That was my original nine lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience. We're coming up now to number 10, 11, and 12. Number 10 in the survey, I asked 1,122 people that actually had a near-death experience straight up. How do you currently view the reality of, their near, of your experience? Look at that. 95.5% people believe their experience was definitely real. Only about 4% say have any doubt at all and say it was probably real, and less than 1% are of the belief that their experience was not real. That is an astoundingly high percentage, and I think you really have to conclude from this data that out of respect for people's ability to generally understand reality, if skeptics want to represent that near-death experiences are not real, they really need to present strong evidence that near-death experiences are not real. And as we've discussed, the skeptics aren't even close. Skeptics can't explain any of the lines of evidence I'm presenting today, let alone all of them together. Moving on on number 11, another line of evidence for the reality of near-death experiences are what's called shared near-death experiences. These are fascinating experiences where two or more people have a simultaneous, in other words, occurring at the same time, life-threatening event. We've, and then they can not only observe each other, they can communicate with each other, but they're actually, if you will, sharing the same near-death experience. Like I said, we've had 15 uh, that have been shared with us. They're typical ex near-death experiences, but they're shared. And I want to illustrate that with a very dramatic account. Uh, William shared this some time ago, and this is an example of what can happen during a near-death experience, and this is a shared near-death experience. This is William Shares. I was taking my girlfriend to her parents' home in Welland, that's Canada. I went to sleep while driving. Then I was aware that we were out of our bodies and quickly flying up towards space, holding hands. They were engaged. We flew straight up for a minute or so when we started to see a park or countryside landscape. Suddenly, we were intercepted by four creatures. Two flanked each of us and began to gently separate us. They overwhelmed us with a feeling of the highest love and compassion that was well beyond anything we could experience on earth. A divine love. 
We therefore had no resistance to their effort. I recall feeling sort of like a baby in a mother's arms, but it's hard to accurately describe. Two of them moved her upward toward a distant landscape, and two moved me back downward. I felt so much love, peace, and comfort that I wanted to protest and say, no, please, let me stay here. But hearing inwardly, without ears, or psychically, that I could not stay. Next, I could see my car in flames for maybe about a quarter mile up. I felt a sensation of falling and awakened in the car. The front was on fire. I moved her from leaning on me as she was when I fell asleep, knowing that her body was an empty shell. I had left her above <clears throat> with those beams. A very dramatic, very poignant shared near-death experience. They were literally sharing a near-death experience. Very powerful evidence that what's being described in near-death experiences may well be that initial step for those having permanent irreversible death. Some of the most important recent research I have is, is there an afterlife? Answer, obviously, yes. So if there's an afterlife, is there God? I was amazed at the consistency in what they described. They over and over described God as overwhelmingly loving, overwhelmingly accepting them of who they are and for all that they are. They have enormously positive feelings uh, in God's presence. God's appearance can be variable, but typically described as an unearthly brilliant white light. They often say, what I encountered, God is an earthly term, an earthly word. What I encountered was beyond any earthly word. Uh, often God will be involved in sending the person back to their earthly life. It's very common for them to have a powerful sense of unity. Afterlife or heavenly realms, when they're in an unearthly heavenly realm, uh, just briefly, time and space radically seems different from Earth. They typically say time does not exist. Beautiful landscapes have been described when they're in that unearthly realm beyond anything on Earth. There's buildings and cities. It's always dramatic to me that when they're in that unearthly or heavenly realm, they may describe colors that are beautiful beyond anything that could even possibly exist on Earth. They may describe beautiful music that is so beautiful that it's beyond anything that could possibly be conceivable on Earth, beyond anything that they ever knew. Typically, in these unearthly, heavenly realms, they have, once again, that overpowerful feeling of peace and love. Among the two most common words used to describe near-death experiences, love and peace. And interestingly, when they're in that unearthly realm, even though that seems so different from our earthly life, there's very often a powerful awareness that this unearthly, this beautiful heavenly realm is their real home. And that seems to be true not only for the person having the near-death experience, but for all of us, a really profound message of hope delivered uh, from those that have had near-death experiences. Let me just remind you, this is the latest research on near-death experiences. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The Art Bell Vault has classic audio waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. 
It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Internet is an extraordinary resource that links our children to a world of information, experiences, and ideas. It also can expose them to risk. Teach your children the basic safety rules of the virtual world. Our children are everything. Do everything for them. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we were just listening to Dr. Jeffrey Long. You can check out his website at nderf.org. Now, he was talking about the after effects of near-death experiences, and while a small amount of people that actually have a near-death experience remember them, I want to introduce you to Dr. Peter Fisher who, after experiencing sudden cardiac arrest, does not remember his near-death experience, but the after effect was so powerful, and his words just give me chills about how to live life and what's important. I'm often asked, what happened to you on that basketball court? Did you see anything? Yeah, the... It's very difficult to describe. And as I've looked through a lot of, a lot of accounts of people who've died 
Um, honestly, very little of it resonates with me. I didn't see a light, um, but I wasn't looking for one. I did see the scene of, of where I was, that sense that people talk about being pulled from your body. I had that. Uh, Ryan Blankenship, who I interviewed, that 6'8 guy crying in his living room, he said, um, why didn't you stop? I mean, you'd been going at this for five minutes, which felt like 15 and nobody and nobody'd come yet. The ambulance uh, that was supposed to be in our area was on another call and went to another, and so they had to call from a remote location to bring an ambulance in. It took them about 10 minutes to get there. And he said, I didn't, he said, I didn't stop because we had a moment. He said, I was pushing on your chest and you were lifeless. And then suddenly you turned your head and you looked at me and I watched your pupils go from black circles and focus on me. And I said, I remember that. I remember that briefly. And he said, we saw that happen and we encouraged you to stick around. But then as soon as they stopped CPR, I had no blood pressure and, and I felt that pulling away sensation and watched them resume. I remember, th I remember that. Um, there's two versions of life after death. There's the question of persisting intelligence, uh, and that's a very individual experience. It's difficult to tell, to tell you what you think about or what you feel when you're in an out-of-body experience. For me, it was all about my kids and my wife and my responsibilities. And I felt a closeness with them that, uh, that I can't really put into words. Um, but I've been able to share with them on some, on some aspects. The second version of life after death is, uh, is a different way of living after dying and, uh, and then living again. And that's what I want to take the, the last minutes and tell you about. This life after dying is better. It's not carefree. It's not work-free. But priorities shift, and there is a greater feeling of joy. And so as I think about it, I think everybody should experience sudden cardiac death um, and live. You have to, you have to live uh, to, to know what this is like. Life before death tended to be ambitious and strategic and independent. And life after death is relational and intimate and relentlessly grateful. Observation number three, products, projects don't define success, relationships define success. Twelve years into practice, I was like a plate spinner. I was addicted to this praise of people saying, we need somebody to run our robotics committee. Oh my gosh, you would be so great with that. We need somebody to chair, to, to be the, the head of surgery. We, you know, we're opening a new hospital. We need a urology division chairman. You would be so great. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. That praise becomes a silent addiction. 12 years into practice, I had seven leading roles. I was the chair of surgery at my hospital. I was the chair of a robotics committee at two hospitals. I uh, was, was working in a number of other committees and so forth. And that stress was, was uh, killing me. I didn't really recognize it. But that's how I was defining success. Success wasn't a financial goal. It wasn't about being a good doctor. It was about the body of work outside of my work. And some of you may experience that. Life after death, uh, success is about joyful relationships. And for me, it changed in an instant. You know, I used to call patients when I drive. Somebody talked about that yesterday. I used to call patients and I used to call partners and I used to strategize about our lithotripsy company and I used to strategize about our hiring partners. Now when I drive, I call my brother uh, and I hope he doesn't answer his phone so I can just leave him a message. 
to tell him I was thinking about it. Or I'd call my parents. I took individual trips with my kids. I recognized immediately where I am wanted and where I am needed. Imagine you have the perfect excuse to get out of the projects that you hate. I had it. And all of these places where I was need, where I was wanted to perform and told them from the hospital bed, hey, I can't be the chair of surgery anymore. Hey, I can't be the robotics committee chairman anymore. Hey, I'm just not going to do that talk. I'm not going to speak for your pharmaceutical company anymore. I got, I, I can't do it. This is what happened to me. They had me replaced in less than 10 days each of those places. I immediately knew where I was wanted and where I was needed. And it was those places where I was needed that made the difference. If you want to know the best, I, the best book that I read about life after death, it's not about life after death. It's this guy, David Brooks um, and the second mountain. And I have a couple of quotes from that because when I read this, these feelings started to describe how I felt in my core through this changing experience. He says, when I look back generally on the errors and failures and sins of my life, they tend to be failures of omission, failures to truly show up to the people who I've been close to. They tend to be sins of withdrawal, evasion, workaholism, conflict avoidance, failure to empathize, and failure to express myself openly. Good grief. Does that not sound like a bunch of overworked doctors? I feel terrible for people who die and live and find that they've been in the wrong marriage. That was luckily not the case with me. This is a picture of me and my sweet wife in our little getaway in the Albion Basin above Salt Lake City. This quote I'll share with you, it's my favorite. Love itself is what is left over when being and loved has burned away and is both an art and a fortunate accident. We have roots that grow towards each other underground, and when all the pretty blossoms have fallen off our branches, we find that we are one tree, not two. Observation number five, my wants and desires have shifted from independence to interdependence. I just cannot tell you how poignant that is. It's so subtle. We do crave independence. Our, our community celebrates independence. Everybody gets the shake. You be you. You do it your way. Whatever you do is absolutely fine. Man, they may, that may be fine with the world, but when I died and came back to life, all I wanted was to be connected. I did not want to be an independent entity. I just wanted those connections. And remembering that, it just feels better to just say it. Again, from David Brooks, uh, they are not interested in what other people tell them what they want. They want to want the things that are truly worth wanting. That's got to be a hard sentence for him to write. They want to want the things that are truly worth wanting. That's what life after death feels like. They elevate their desires. The world tells them to want independence, but they want interdependence to be enmeshed in a web of warm relationships. The world tells them to want individual freedom, but they want intimacy, responsibility, and commitment. Observation number six, comparison is the robber of joy. Good grief. I, I can't tell you what it's like to suddenly be stripped of the need to compare yourself with other people. Uh, but it was enormously freeing. I feel like being on a path is uh, is just as good as 
as getting to a destination. Accepting mediocrity is not the medicine for imperfection. Life after death shifts, shifts from venting frustration and finding blame to honesty, patience, long-term gains, and openly sharing vulnerability. Openly and directly address imperfection is the observation I came up with. Listening after death, uh, you'll have to grab this quote from my slides, but I'm, not, I'm still not a good listener. I just have a better goal of how to be a better listener. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is a great Buddhist quote about deep listening. Observation number nine, success equation flipped. And I'm going to take two minutes to tell you about this because it's important to me. Life before death was indestructible, concealed weakness and hiding failures. I felt like if I wanted to get something, I could work and determine and work and determine over and over again until I achieved that. There was nothing that I couldn't find. That all shifted when all of a sudden my vulnerability was open to the world and patients and colleagues and neighbors would all treat me initially with velvet gloves and recognize that I was completely vulnerable. That shifted for me. And then I found in that vulnerable this sense of, of warm relationships and joy. Our problem with vulnerability is that we bring it home. Like my kid Mitch. You know, if Mitch calls me before death and says, Dad, I'm having a hard time making friends, I would fall right into those clinical models of the cheerleader. You can hear it, right? Come on, Mitch. You're great. People don't love you yet because they don't know you. Just be yourself. You're going to be awesome. We love you. Everybody's going to love you. Instead, I found life after death. Dad, I'm having a hard time making friends. Hey, I get that. I think that can be hard for everybody at a lot of different phases. What do you want to do about it? And try not to become his voice and not try and take the place of his voice and not try and stifle, good grief, not try and put down his voice. We measure our lives by the quality of our relationships and the quality of our service in those relationships. Life is a qualitative endeavor, not a quantitative one. I hope my life after death characterizes me as an advocate. And my last message for you is that I became vulnerable and found a profound view of those relationships and a shifting to somebody better than who I was. And you may get there. You may get divorced or jobless or houseless or homeless or face down on a basketball court. But if you can come through it, that vulnerability can give you tremendous strength. Thank you, Dr. Fisher. Everything we learn about life after death is to give us the best life while we're here on earth. I'm Sandra Champlain, and don't forget to come by wedontdie.com. Check out all we're doing, come to a free Sunday gathering, and just let us love you. Thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.